All right, so we've been doing this series on the fear of the Lord, which I personally have been really enjoying and getting a lot out of, and um, and it's just really uh, rocking my world. Um, you don't hear the fear of the Lord taught on a lot, especially, you know, like five different uh, times, but I really felt like... Um, that it's important because the fear of the Lord and the glory of God are so um, connected. It's like a hand and a glove, um, you know, that the fear of the Lord being the glove and the, and the glory of God being the hand. And, and, and I know that we are in the season where the glory of God in the latter rain is about to be poured out on his church. And so I want us, I want to position us for that reality. And if you know anything about, <clears throat> about us, um, you know that my goal is to prepare an army, um, not to, to give you words for your itching ears. Um, so if you are looking for, I mean, I want you to feel good, but I, what I really want is, when, is to be like a military general that's like, tells you what you need to hear so that you can be prepared for the days that are coming. You know, a military man doesn't, he doesn't like say to the army, listen, I just want you to feel good. I just want to tell you things that are going to make you feel good. No, he's like, I'm going to give you information that's going to help prepare you for the battle that's coming, right? And, and, um, and so it's good news this is great news because we have the power, the authority, we have everything that we need in Christ in order to advance the kingdom in the earth and to bring glory to his name. Um, so uh, turn in your Bibles, let's just start here. Turn in your Bibles to um, uh, 1 Corinthians, and I want to make sure that this is right. I've got 1 Corinthians 2. Um, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthian church, in the first uh, in the first book of Corinthians, um, he's talking a lot about the order of the church. And the second book of Corinthians, he's really talking more about the glory of God. Um, all right, so yeah, chapter two, uh, verse six. Let's start there. Y'all, when you're there. Oh, come on. All right, pretend it's Friday night, okay? Woo! All right, um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for whose glory? Our glory. For our glory, okay? Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, which basically means um, it ain't on earth, okay? So it's in heaven because you're not going to get it unless you get it from him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? 
Hello. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which are man's wis- which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay, that's a lot, right? Isn't that a good word? Amen. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the wisdom that comes from heaven is not the same as the wisdom that comes from God. So you can have earthly wisdom, and you can look at patterns in the earth, and you can say, oh, look at this. One plus one equals two. Aren't I smart? No, 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 no. He's like, no, in heaven, one plus one does not equal two, but I'm going to show you how one plus one equals seven. I'm going to show you things that that are different than the ways of the world in order to get you to where you're going so much faster than you could have gotten there in your own wisdom. One of those, and I want to just give you a brief testimony of my daughter Bliss. Now, a lot of you know Bliss, our daughter Bliss is, it was in an accident when she was 20 years old, going to college, beautiful girl, top of her class. She dove into a river that was too shallow, and she broke her neck and was a quadriplegic. Well, when we got that news for us, it was, it was horrifying, you know, and um, not only heartbreaking, for her life and our life, but at the time, John had started a new business, so at the time, we were in the process of selling our house, and we'd sold my car, and so everything was kind of on a downward trajectory financially for us, and then we had this happen with Bliss, and um, and so uh, as we were bringing her back home, we spent, I don't know, like two or three months in the hospital with her, um, just going up there, being with her. And for those of you that don't know, we have seven kids. And so, you know, they don't stop needing mom and dad. And, and so it was just a really, really dark time for us. And as we brought her home, her care, she actually needed a full-time nurse. But what she got was me. <clears throat> and we had a ministry, and then John had a business he was trying to get off the ground. So um, in order to care for her, uh, you had to be available, and so she and I were connected uh, because she uh, she just had needs and had to be cared for um, because when you're quadriplegic, nothing from here down works, nothing, you know? So she was like an adult rag doll, and it would take about an hour and a half just to get her dressed, you know? You've got a, that's a long leg to get in a pair of skinny jeans, okay? And it took me 45 minutes the first time I tried to get her pants on. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? And so every two hours at night, like a baby, I would have to turn her so she didn't get bed sores. And, you know, and she at the same time had a tremendous amount of emotional needs She was just devastated. We were devastated. She couldn't eat. She couldn't bathe. She couldn't do anything, nothing, absolutely zero. 
And so we were like, and I made her a promise in the hospital, and I said, I am going to help you become independent. And I thought, well, I don't know how that's going to happen because most of the people with her level of injury, it would take anywhere from 8 to 12 years to become independent. Think about that, 8 to 12 years. And so for me, I'm looking at that, and I'm looking at my own life, and I'm going, well, what does this mean for my life? You know, that means that everything, that all my hopes and dreams, I just took them and I put them away. I can't do that. This is what I'm doing. You know, um, and the Lord kept saying, you know, to, to you who are, who are blessing her, you're doing it unto the least of these. You're doing it unto me. And I'm washing her feet. And I remember washing her feet in the shower and, and um, just crying because my life was over. Actually, I was shaving her legs. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, this is different. <laughs> but. During that time, the Lord kept saying, I want you to start my house prayer. I want you to start my house prayer. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. And um, everything about my life, um, all of my reserves were gone. All of our reserves were gone. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a season like that, but we had no money. When I say no money, it's not like, oh, we have $50,000 in the bank. I've talked to people that are like, oh, man, we're really out of money. We only have 200000 left in the bank. And I'm like, honey, you don't know what out of money is. <laughs> I mean, I had cobwebs in my checking account, and I was, you know, on a wing and a prayer. Right, baby? Uh, anyway, thank goodness that season is over. But anyway, so here we are. We're in that season. <clears throat> no money. No energy. I had no energy because I had to take care of all the other kids as well. And um, no time for myself. No time, no time, no time. And so the Lord said to me, and this is where the fear of the Lord comes in. I want you to start praying 12 hours a week. And I just thought, you know, are, are you joking? Is this a joke? And it was one of those times when the Lord actually makes you mad. Because you're in the weakest, most desperate. All I did was cry. We still had our Thursday nights, and everybody would come over, and I would be the one bawling my eyes out on the floor. And I was like, sorry, I would really love to preach, but I think I'm just going <laughs> to blow my nose instead. And so it was one of those times where he said, I'm going I'm to I'm require of you more than you can give me. But in that, there's going to be a tremendous blessing. But you know, at the time, I didn't see that. The only thing I saw was that I'm literally working almost 20 hours a day. I can barely keep my eyes open. I'm so sad. I'm so sick. I'm so desperate. All I wanted to do was run away. And he's like, no, I want you to give me 12 hours a week. And I thought, okay, if I do that... <clears throat> People are going to think I'm crazy because all of my other children are saying, why don't you go out and get a job? Because I used to make, you know, six figures a year. Why don't you go get a job? If you would get a job, then things would get better. Well, the Lord told me to sit in a room, close my eyes, and pray to an invisible God for 12 hours a week. So I can't go get a job. <laughs> but the fear of the Lord, I just said, okay, I don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to go sit in a room and close my eyes four times a week for three hours. And I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to trust you, God. And so as I began to do that, something 
phenomenal and supernatural began to happen. All of a sudden, after about six weeks, the Holy Spirit started coming and encountering me like he does in a corporate service. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, it's just me. How's that possible? And, and, and he started talking to me. He started revelating with me. He started showing me the word. He started telling me about who I was. And all of this to say, in that, bliss started getting better. Like, all of a sudden, there was like this shift where she, within two years, became fully independent. And what should have taken her eight years, Baylor Hospital put her whole face on, a, on a, the side of their building like that, taking credit for the fact that she was healed, and, or not healed fully, but, but how she was fully independent in, in two years. It was a miracle. Now, I could have stayed where I was and said, okay, well, I'm just going to, if it's going to be, it's up to me, and be too afraid to, to take that step of, 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 of being saying, God, you know, I tremble at your word. I tremble at your word, God, so I trust you, and I know that you're a good God. And so in that, where it says here, listen, it looks like foolishness. We got to get over the fact that we want God to look like the earth because he doesn't. And when he says, I'm going to, I'm going to put my finger on things in your heart that are going to test you to see what's in there. Why? Why does God test us? Because he does. Because he already knows what's in our hearts. But see, we don't know what's in our hearts. And it's during the test that we find out what's on the inside and what we truly believe. So I want to talk to you about the glory of the old covenant versus the new covenant. And I want to show you... Because, because in the Old Covenant, during the time of Moses and when the Israelites were in the desert, the, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, in fact, um, it, he says this, 1 Corinthians 10, he said, all of these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at a time, us, when this age is drawing to a close. And so we can look at what happened to them and how they responded to the glory of God because it's actually very similar to the way we respond to the glory of God. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he revealed God's desire to reveal his glory and to dwell in the hearts of his people. 2 Corinthians 3, um, verse 7 and 8. It says that that old system of law etched in stone led to death, yet it began with such a glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Should we expect far greater glory than that of the Holy Spirit? And so there he is. He's got this face. Think about that. That's shining like the sun. Why? Because he was looking at the one who shines, who is the sun, who shines like the sun. But we're supposed to be greater than that. We're not supposed to reflect the glory of God. We're actually supposed to have the glory of God within us and that comes out of us. We're supposed to shine like the morning star. 
Our whole countenance. Should, I mean, when we walk in the marketplace, people should be falling down, repenting, and asking, how must I be saved? I mean, that's my goal in life, right? 2 Corinthians 3.10 says this. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. Israel could not look at the glory that was passing away. And in 2 Corinthians 3.14, it says, because their minds, but their minds were blinded. So they couldn't look at it. They couldn't look upon the glory of God because their minds were blinded. So how, was, how were their minds blinded? How is this something that we can avoid today? The answer is going to help us to understand how we can prepare ourselves to begin to receive God's glory. Because what happened with Israel is they had a fear of God. They were afraid. They were afraid of God. They didn't have a spirit of the fear of the Lord. They were actually afraid of God. Exodus 19, verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, God, uh, God to the people and go to the people and, and consecrate, being, meaning being set apart, them today and tomorrow let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. Say the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. This is a prophetic statement. One day is of a thousand years. And all scholars can agree that the Lord is going to come back on the third day. It's not just a band with a guy whose voice, I promise, that's what Jesus' voice is going to sound like. Right? Roll, roll. What's his name? Mac. Mac. I don't know. Anyway, I love them. They used to be my favorite band. Until, of course, the promise came out. And, you know. <laughs> In Revelation 19, the Lord said that the bride will make herself ready and she will be clothed. She will clothe herself in white linen. That she will be like, okay, I know I'm in the season, therefore I realize that I need to clothe myself. And it says that, the, that her clothing, that white linen, is the righteous acts of the saints. It's not just good deeds, it's good God deeds. See, this passage in Exodus, when it talks about the third day, it's the 3,000 years. And the first 2,000 years were really about consecration. But the third day, the people of God are clothing ourselves. And see, there's a prophetic voice that is rising up in the land and that it has a spirit of Elijah to begin to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. It's people that, and it's a word and it's preaching that begins to align the body of Christ so that order can come to the church so that the glory of God can fall on us again. Amen? Matthew talked about this so brilliantly last week. The church has to be set in order. The word of God has got to be preached with power and passion. And this day of his return is as real as the day that he left. The day that he was resurrected from the dead, that was on a day. It's not, a, it's not just a story. There was a literal day in time when our Christ 
rose from the dead, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. And it will come again. He will come. And it says here in Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day, thunder and lightning flashed, and dense cloud came down on the mountain. And there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now picture this. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire, and the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. Okay, I want you to think about that because that's exactly what's going to happen when the Lord returns. He is coming, and the whole earth will see him and hear him, and there will be a loud sound like a trumpet that is blown, and the whole earth will get to see him as he returns. He is going to have a procession that you will all see. You'll look up, and there he will be. Exodus 20, verse, this is heavy on Scripture, I know, but hang with me. It's important that we know the word. The word is so important. We have to tremble at the word. Exodus 20, verse 18 says this. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance and trembling with fear. And they said, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Moses answered to them and he said this, so important, listen, don't be afraid For God has come in this way to test you so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And so he was saying, you're afraid and you're backing up. You're backing up away from him. And he came to see, to test you, to see where your heart is and if you're willing to fully receive the beauty and the power and the majesty of who he is. And again, this testing is not, is nothing other than so we ourselves can find out what's in our hearts. Because the truth is, just as it was with bliss, my daughter, When the Lord comes like a mighty, thundering, rushing wind, many times to take us because he's a good father. And see, we think in our minds a lot. God's not like our earthly fathers. God's not a bad dad. He's not an abusive father. He's a good father. And he'll take us. He wasn't trying to punish me when he told me, I want you to give me this many hours a week in prayer, what he was doing is he was saying, I'm showing you and I'm trying to help you because you're hurting so bad. And I want to promote you and I want to help to get you out of a situation that is consuming you because I have plans for you and you don't have 10 years to spend taking care of your daughter. 
So he was working on my behalf, but his ways, I didn't understand it at the time. Exodus 21, 21, it said that the people stood far off and Moses, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So I want you to look at this. I want you to look at who Moses was, and I want you to look at who the people of, 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 of who the Jewish people were, because they're the same. They each experienced the same thing. What made Moses different than the people of Israel? They all came out of Egypt. Basically, they all got saved. They all experienced miracles. They all experienced deliverance. They, they were double-minded. They were saved, but they still had their hearts back in Egypt, right? They were still like, you know, okay, we're thirsty. We need to go back to Egypt. We're hungry. We should have stayed in Egypt. And you have to understand, Moses was hungry too. But he wasn't the one complaining, right? They experienced wealth that was poured out. God will show you where that, how to pay those taxes. He's like, there's, there's gold in the fish's mouth. We see financial miracles only to put our affections and strength on material and financial blessings instead of on the Lord who blessed us. Yep. They experienced the healing power of God. So basically, everything that was in God's heart, he poured out into them. But here's what happened. It's just like the charismatic church. What were they doing? Every time God would move and they would have a miracle, they're dancing. Woo! I'm praising the Lord. Give me a a a a a trampoline, not a trampoline, a tambourine. Same thing. (laughs) I'll jump. You you shake. (laughs) Or jump and shake. A tambourine on a trampoline. Ooh. So they're having, they're, they're rejoicing in the Lord. They're dancing in the Lord. They're enjoying the Lord. What? What are they doing? They're like, we love the hand of God. We love his provision. We love his healing. We love his miracles. But the minute that God himself shows up and says, you're here. My kids are here. I want to come down and I want to be with you. What do they do? They back away. And I love what Mary Forsyth said last week. She said, you know, when God shows up, we need to, we need to press in. When his presence shows up and it's, it's like, ooh, wow, you know, I think I'm going to think about my grocery list instead of really entering into worship. I think I'm going to go through all of these other things in my mind instead of really allowing myself to say, no, I'm going to be singularly focused and I'm going to be carried away into your presence. And as it gets intense, I'm not going to back away, but I'm going to stay in that place with you, God. You see, the difference between Moses and the people of God is that the people of, of God, the Israelites, They came into the timing of the Lord where they got carried away and and God was answering their prayers. So they went willingly because it benefited them. Moses left his station of honor and privilege to serve God when it was hard. And he said, I choose you And I'm going to go because I want you. I want you. I want you, God. And so he ran into the darkness where God was. 
He ran towards God's presence. But the people of God said, we want the benefits that you offer us, but we don't really want you. God reveals the truth to Moses that is written in Deuteronomy 5 when he says this. They said to Moses, you go near to God and you hear what he has to say and you tell us all that the Lord God has to say and we will do it. Because if we go near to him, we will die. And then God tells Moses, you know what? They're right. They will die. And and Moses is like, why do you say this? And Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, the truth is, is that they didn't know how to tremble at God's word. And when God said, come to me, or when God says, I want you to pray 12 hours when you have no time, or when God says, I want you to give extravagantly when you don't have, when, when God starts putting his fingers on things, he's not doing it to punish us, but he's doing it to promote us. And he's testing us to see if we will tremble at his word versus try to figure things out in our own wisdom. James said this, even the demons believe and tremble. Most of the American church do not tremble at the word of God. So what does it mean to tremble at his word? Here's the summation. Are you ready? Drum roll. Here's what it means. To willingly obey God, even when it appears more advantageous to compromise or not obey his word. Here's what it means to tremble at his word. To willingly obey God, even when it appears more advantageous to compromise or to disobey his word. That is where the rubber meets the road. And that, beloved, is what is happening in the body of Christ. There is a separating that's coming, and God is separating those that are willing to take the narrow road and believe God no matter what the cost and those that are saying, I can't, I can't do it just like the Israelites. I can't be in your presence. I can't pursue you in that way. And in this, the fear of the Lord has to be balanced with the love of God. We have to show the balance of these two things, and they have to be in us. But we have to be willing to be promoted in this hour because God is promoting his church. But, beloved, it looks like him shooting you out as an arrow. He's going to pull back. He's going to pull you back. And you're going to be like, no, 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 you're weakening me. You're weakening me. And then he's going to let you go, and you are going to soar. But that place of trembling at his word and obeying his word and saying, no matter what the cost, God, 
I will follow you. Just like Moses said, I'm in this for you. I'm not in this for the benefit. Because if we, if we are in it for the benefit, we will not be able to stand in the hour of shaking. And we will not be able to obey when he's trying to promote us. Paul prophesied to Timothy that a time would come when believers would follow their own desires, looking for preachers and teachers who would tell them what they want to hear. The fear of the Lord keeps us from having itching ears and saying, no, no, I don't want to hear what I need to hear. I I don't want to hear the truth. I just want you to give me a thumbs up on Facebook. I want you to just agree with me, and I want you to tell me soft, soothing things things so that I can leave and feel good about myself. And beloved, I want you to feel good, but I'm not raising up a a compromising church. We are raising up an army who is going to be able to stand and be able to advance. And I mean, we're going to take the city. How can we take the city if we won't even obey God's word? Malachi 3, 1, 2 talks about a prophetic voice in the spirit of Elijah and a remnant that's going to arise in the last days. When in the day of the latter rain, he says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temp- to the temple. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a lauder's soap. Now, turning your Bibles to Malachi 3, it's, it's right before Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi 3, verse 16. And we're going to end with this. Malachi 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened to their conversation. He heard them. Those who feared the Lord were talking to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord. And on the day, on that day, on the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The Lord said over 2,000 years ago, I'm going to come. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back on the earth again. And even the demons knew at the time he was walking on the earth that he was early. And they said to him, why have you come? You are early. But see, they didn't realize the plan of God was to multiply heaven with saints to multiply the earth with those who were part man or 100% man and 100% God, just as he was. And they would look just like him. 
But here's the thing about this. God has released a prayer movement that has swept the entire earth. And we hear this and we come in here week after week and we agree with the word. And we say to ourselves, that's right. That's right. I agree with you. The prayer movement. I'm all for that. Thank God I serve a church that, has, that, that believes in the prayer movement. And I'm a forerunner. I'm a remnant. But then we go home and our schedule hasn't changed. And so we live the same way as we've always lived. And we wonder why there's no promotion. Why there's no breakthrough. Because the truth is, he's saying to each one of us, come away with me. Come away with me. I want to show you who you are, who I am. Let me do this for you. Let me promote you. You're going to go so much farther in me. You're going to be in my will. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is he's saying, get with me. He's using a prayer movement to begin to shake the cultural country club Christianity and return us back to the ancient pathways of an individual mandate to build our personal lives. And we've really got to make a decision. We've really got to say, what am I going to do here? Am I going to go on and keep living the way I've been living? Or am I actually going to say, you know what? It's time for me to really start living instead of surviving. He's doing this. He's building you through deep intimacy, courageous obedience, radical love, and biblical truth. So today is the last day of the fear of the Lord teaching. And this teaching has meant so much to me because I realize how important this is for what's coming. That you just don't hear a word and then you go on and you forget it. But you hear a word and you respond. So this morning, I'm looking for those who are going to who are going to actually respond and, and and who are willing to say, "You know what? I'm ready to really take a step of faith and begin to change and say, I don't want to live the way I've been living. I want to respond to you, Lord. I want to be the remnant. I want to be in the army of God. I don't want to be in a country club. I don't want to be a subculture that just comes to church and then never changes and and, and just kind of keeps everybody within the walls. But I want to be somebody who gets lit on fire and the glory of God has found a home in me and I go out and transform the place that I work, the city that I'm in, and we're the people that have the word of the Lord in us. We're the people that are prophesying we're the people that are moved with compassion when we see someone at Walmart with a boot on their foot. We're the people who God is saying, you're the remnant. You're the one that I prepared for my return. And we will do great exploits in this hour. I don't know about you, but who wants to live that kind of life that's not fun? I would rather live the life where I have testimonies. I don't just listen to other people's testimonies. But I'm like, you're never going to believe what happened. I raised that guy from the dead. Come on. Like Moses did. 
I want us today to make a decision. And I want all of us. And if you're not ready, that's okay. But I really want you to think about this because the word says to count the cost. But I can tell you from our personal experience that we made this decision long ago and we left the life in Highland Park. We left the life of aspiring to to personal gain. And we laid down our life and it's the best thing that we've ever done because we grew in love and we learned to love. And at the end of the day, if they say about us they loved well, then we have done well. We followed well. We were obedient. We did what he told us to do no matter how much it cost us. And that's who I want to run with. That's who you are. So Jen's going to play over us. And I just really want you to take inventory right now of who you are and who you want to be. And I'm just going to pray over you and I'm just going to ask the Lord to begin to move on you. And I'm going to ask the Lord not just that you would have the, the fear of God, but that you would have a spirit of the fear of the Lord that would come on you. And then if that's something you want, I want you to come up front and make a personal declaration that I don't want to be the same. I don't want to just leave here and be like, oh, let's go have lunch. Wasn't that good? Pass the taco. But like, I really did something today. And I and God, I mean, you designed my life. You tell me how many hours to pray a day. You tell me how many hours to read the word. You tell me how much money to give. You tell me how to live my life. I'm a life laid down. And so God, I just ask you today, I ask you today, God, that we would be forever changed. And I thank you that you're a good father and we can trust your leadership. And that we're not alone in this. And that every time that you call us to do something that we don't understand and that really tests our heart in obedience, God, I know that you're doing it to promote us and for our own good. We love you. We want to run to you like Moses ran to you. We want to run to you, God. We just declare that we're not afraid of the thunder. We're not afraid of the lightning. Would you release a spirit of the fear of the Lord on us today, God? Everyone that comes forward, God, I pray, God, that you would release that over us today, God. That we could have extraordinary lives, God. That they would, that we would be history makers, God. That we would be the hinge to the door that opened up the glory over our city, over our region, over our nation, God. We bless you. We thank you that it's your desire to pour out your glory in our lives and on this city, God. And we just say today, here we are, God, send us. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.